0: And let's look in Galatians 3 and 1 Peter 1. In Galatians the 3rd chapter. The 13th verse. The word of the Lord says. Christ hath redeemed us. From the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. As for it is written. Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of abraham might come on the gentiles through jesus christ that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith hold your place there go with me to first peter let's remind ourselves of this verse of scripture first 1 peter 1:18 it says for as much first 1 peter 1:18 for as much as you know, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but, in other words, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Thank God we've been redeemed. Amen. We said to you that redeemed means bought back. It means ransomed. And thank God uh, Jesus bought us back. He ransomed us. Amen. And uh, in order for him to need to buy us back, that implies that we had been sold. And we studied scriptures like Isaiah 50 Isaiah chapter 52 as well, the different places where that he told them, he said, you have sold yourselves. And one place he said, behold, for your iniquities, you have sold yourselves. We could go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve and, and realize that they sold themselves under the control and power of the enemy through their sin, through their iniquities and wrongdoings. And the Bible tells us that it didn't just happen with them, but that all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And if all have sinned. Then all deserve the wages of death. Spiritual death. That is manifested in every area of life. Manifested in the forms of mental anguish. Torment. Poverty and lack. And sickness and disease. And all manner of things. That are evil and and bad. But thank God. Even though we were sold. Under that under the dominion and control of darkness and the power of death, the Bible tells us that Jesus has bought us back. Amen. He bought us. It took a a great price to buy us. It took the price of the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. There's no greater price that could be paid. That's the greatest price that could be paid. The greatest price that could be paid is life. That's the greatest that could be paid. And Jesus' life was none other than the life of God that flowed in his veins and in his blood. And Jesus paid that greatest of all prices for us, showing that we must be valuable. We must be important. We must be precious. For God to pay that kind of a price for us, we must be precious and valuable to him. Amen. How many know you don't pay $10 billion for a five dollar item. Is that right? And Jesus didn't pay. The precious blood that flowed in his veins. And the very life of God. For you. If you're just a worm in a nothing. Are you listening? You may not have seen in you. What he sees in you. But it's there. I said it's there. The value. The worth. It's there. And the Lord counts you precious and valuable enough. To pay that great price for you. Now back in Galatians. If you notice with me again. He's very specific. About what we were bought back from. And what we are bought to. Notice that he said. Christ hath redeemed us. From what? From the curse of the law. That's what we've been bought back from. We were sold unto sin. We were sold unto the curse. The wages of sin is death. Another way of saying death is saying the curse. The curse is death. To be cursed is to have death manifest in your life. And so we were sold under sin, unto death, unto the curse. And the only way we could keep from experiencing the curse is for somebody to come and buy us back from under it. Jesus did that. And the Bible said he he redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There is no greater blessing than God's own Spirit. All the blessings of God are summed up in saying that you have the Spirit of God. All that God is, is in his Spirit. Amen? And his Spirit is in you. Oh, thank God. Thank God. The Spirit of God can come and rest on you. And all you know how to say, all you know what to do is just say, I was blessed. I was blessed. You know, it seems that some some folk in, in some charismatic circles don't know a whole lot about what you mean when you say, I got blessed. They mean, oh, you mean that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No, that's true, but that's not what we're talking about. You can be blessed just experiencing the presence of God. Amen. Somebody said, well you, well, you mean a feeling? Well, yes and no. Amen. Uh, you, your flesh can be affected by the presence of God, uh, but it's also a sense and an inward joy. Amen. Not just a physical thing, but a spiritual blessing. I'm telling you, friend, the Holy Ghost can, can come and get in the chair with you. <laughs> and move on your soul. And bless you. Somebody say, well, what's wrong with you? I'm just blessed. Just, just blessed. Now, I know some people, they, they think that sounds weird. That sounds, uh he's talking about some strange experience. And if and folks think like that, you wonder, well, dear Lord, don't you even know what being blessed is? <laughs> Amen. I grew up Pentecostal, and Pentecostals knew about being blessed. In fact, they're almost one tract. They all came to church to get blessed. <laughs> and I mean, that's not altogether wrong, but you need to come with other things in mind besides just you getting blessed. You just want to see the will of God done, and you want to see other people get their needs met, amen, and not just come for you to be blessed, but at the same time, you, you need to be blessed. Amen. God ordained that we be a blessed people. Not a cursed people. Now the Bible said we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And uh, in order to to know exactly what that means. You'd need to go back to the law. To places like Leviticus 26. Places like Deuteronomy 28. And read that and study what the curse of the law is. Because the Bible said we've been redeemed from it. And you know you need to find out what you've been redeemed from. Because if you don't then you may not enjoy the privilege. Well, you won't enjoy the privilege. Let me give you an example. What if somebody, you know, felt impressed to buy you a new automobile? And uh, they came to bring it to you here and parked it out here in the front where you could look through these front uh, windows here and see it. And you are out there in the lobby after the service and you see this new automobile. And boy, it's just like you like. I mean, it's exactly... I mean, if you'd have went and looked through all the models and and and, and choices, that's exactly what you'd have picked out. I mean, it's just to the T what you would want. But but the individual has not gotten inside yet to tell you that this is your car. And so you might stand there and look out the window and marvel at the car and think, well, man, isn't that nice? Isn't that sharp? Boy, I'd sure like to have something like that. But you don't know it's yours. Right? An individual could come to steal this car. And you know, some professional uh, auto thieves, uh, it doesn't take them a long time to get in. It almost looks like they have the key or whatever, you know. Just walk up there and, and do a thing or two and get in the car and get ready to start it up. And you might just stand there and watch and say, well, lucky guy. He, that's, that's the guy that car belongs to, I guess. And watch him drive off with your car. And never never raise a hand, never say a word. Why? You didn't know it was your car. See, if you don't know what belongs to you, you're not going to stand up for it. And the devil can come and rob you of your blessings and steal things from you. You won't raise a hand to resist him because you didn't know it was yours. Friend, the blessings are yours. The blessings are yours. The scripture we referred to a moment ago, he has blessed us. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Peter said he has blessed us with all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has blessed us. The curse is not ours anymore. Jesus took the curse. The blessings are ours. You've got to find out what blessings are yours. Healing is one of the blessings that's yours. It's yours. You've got to know it's yours. And if anything tries to steal it, you've got to stand up for your rights. And you have to resist any attack on your body to to rob you of the blessing that is rightfully yours. You ought to be healed. I said you ought to be healed. Amen. Why? Because Jesus bought your healing and paid for it. Amen. Then you ought to enjoy it. Is that right? I mean, you know, if, if, if I was going to do something for you and, and I knew that you were going to come through this certain store or a certain place at this certain time and I knew you were, you were coming through there and so I was there ahead of you and I picked out something for you and I said, well, I, I want I want them to have this. And I told the, the clerk and the people there, I said, I want you to put this aside for so-and-so. They'll be here this evening or whatever. And I paid for it in full and I said, you give it to them. Now, if you go there and they try to give it to you and you don't take it, or they forget to give it to you, or whatever the case might be, how's that going to affect me? Anybody know at all? That's not that's not going to make me feel very good, is it? I mean, if I paid for it and it's yours, and then I, next time I see you, I say, well, where, you know, where's your, your your suit or where's your dress or where, whatever you know? They say, what dress? What suit? The one I paid for. Well, they said something about it, but I just, you know, I didn't think I was worthy. I said, well, whether you think you're worthy or not, I paid good money for that, and I want you to go get it. Right. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, I just don't, I just don't know whether I can take it or What do you mean you don't know whether you can take it or not? Go get it. Yeah. Well, I don't have any money to pay for it. It's paid for. It's paid for. Go get it. Well, they they didn't want to give it to me. Well, whether they want to give it to you or not, you go and you tell them it's yours. Check the papers. It's paid for. They're supposed to let you have it. Isn't that right? Well, friend, did Jesus buy anything for us? Did He pay for anything for us? It belongs to you. It's it's not like, you know, that if you plead and beg long enough that God might see fit to, to do a little favor for you. He has already... Bought your healing and paid for those blessings, and you ought to have them. You ought to enjoy them. You ought to remember what Jesus said concerning that woman that had the spirit of infirmity for eighteen years. She was bowed together, couldn't raise up. All those eighteen years been that way. Jesus said, to, "You know, to to her woman, you're loose from your infirmity." He laid his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And you know, he Jesus finally told him, "You hypocrite." Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this barn on the Sabbath day? Jesus said the devil had bound her all those 18 years, and he said she ought to be loosed. She ought to be. Ought to be. Hear the words of Jesus. Ought to be. Ought to be. I'm telling you, friend, every Christian, every Christian, ought to be healed. Ought to be. Ought to be. You know, ought is from the word o. To o. If you do a little research on the etymology of the word, it comes back to to o. What does it mean? Does it mean that healing is owed to you? Yes. Not because of what you have done, though. Healing is owed to you because of what Jesus has done for you just like salvation and remission of sin and forgiveness and blessings of all kinds are owed to you. Why? Not because of your works. Not because you deserve it because of your own merits. But it is owed to you because Jesus has bought it and paid for it. It belongs to you. Now the devil will lie to you. The devil will resist you. Try to keep you from getting what is rightfully yours. Try to keep you out of the blessings that have already been purchased and paid for with the precious blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you find out you make sure you know in your own heart that these things are yours. Nobody can talk you out of it. It's yours. You're going to have it. you got to make up your mind. Whether anybody else enjoys theirs or not, you can't control that. You understand? But you can make up your mind, Jesus got it for me. He bought it for me. I'm going to have mine. Amen. Not because I'm something special. It's just I know that He bought it for me and I'm going to have it. Amen. And you boldly appropriate what is yours. And you boldly and steadfastly resist any effort of the enemy to rob and steal from you. Can you say amen? Amen. Now we know healing is one of the blessings that belongs to us. Because according to Deuteronomy 28, we saw statement after statement that referred to physical problems. Didn't we? We've studied the last couple of days. If you weren't here and interested, your tapes are available. But we, we saw where disease after disease and tuberculosis and wasting diseases. Problems in the knees and problems in the legs, fevers, inflammations, uh, tumors, boils, cysts, a- allergic problems and skin rashes of all kinds. And uh, I mean, you, you name it, all kinds of things, genetic problems. He went on to say every sickness, every disease. These are part of the curse of the law. Like we said, we went over those in detail. If you're interested, tapes are available of the teaching. But what we're saying is, all these things are part of the curse of the law. And what's the good news? We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm telling you, I thought a few moments when y'all were singing that, I thought some of these people believe this. Redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I tell you, y'all sing it a bunch different today than you did on Monday. I tell you that right now. I hear conviction in some voices. Amen. Because that's what the word will do for you, isn't it? You hear the word, and faith comes by hearing of the word. And now it's not just an old song that grandma used to sing. It's a living truth in your soul, makes you want to shout, "I'm redeemed!" Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And see, when 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 it gets real to you like that, that's when it works for you. That's when it works in you. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Something to get happy about. Something to shout about. I've been redeemed. Don't have to be sick. Don't have to be. Don't have to die prematurely. No, don't have to. Don't have to be incapacitated, infirm, afflicted. Don't have to be. Don't have to be. Somebody said, yeah, but, yeah, but you've been a sorry rascal. You've sinned. And you've done this and you've done that. Well, even if you have, Jesus paid for it. He took the penalty. He paid the price for your sins. We don't have to try to pay for our sins. Jesus paid for the sins. We're free. We're redeemed. We've been ransomed. Bought back. Free, glory to God. Free, free, free. I want us to talk further today about that exchange and about how it actually happened that we got redeemed. We, we've already talked some about, uh, the, a little bit about the price that was paid and we've talked about exactly what we've been redeemed from. But I want us to be more specific and go into more detail about how that exchange was made. You know, you could call, uh, salvation and the salvation message the message of the great exchange. Amen. Because that's exactly what salvation is about. That's what the gospel is about. It's about salvation. It's about the exchange. The great substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you, you'll see it all the way from the beginning of the word of God. You'll see it in the pipes and shadows of the Old Testament. Again and again, when God would talk to them about their offerings and about their sacrifices, there was substitution. An innocent being offered for a guilty. A clear passage to see this is over in Leviticus. Let's go look at it. Over in Leviticus, I believe it's about chapter 16 or so. Yeah, Leviticus 16. Turn there with me if you would. Let's look at it. This whole chapter here has to do with the atonement. And the Bible tells us how it happened. The Bible tells us that that Aaron, the high priest, was to uh, sacrifice an offering for himself. And he was to come in before the uh, holy place and sprinkle the blood. And he was to offer up the the sacrifice and offer up the blood for the sins of the people. And the Bible also tells us that uh, verse 20, after he had done this, this is Leviticus 16 verse 20. It says, and when he has made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat. Now you know, you'll see laying on of hands all the way back here in Leviticus, don't you? Sometimes folk act like it's a new thing, you see. It's been in the Bible a long time. But it says he would lay both of his hands on the head of the goat, and he would confess over this goat all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions "...in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness." Now you know, uh, sometimes we don't realize, but a lot of our language comes from biblical passages like scapegoat or or the goat you ever hear somebody talking about well somebody so-and-so is the goat what does that mean it means they they're the ones that got it or the scapegoat and see that comes back to this right back to this you know, a lot of your phrases, you, you don't even think about it, but, but a lot of them really are, they come out of the Bible. Like, saved by the skin of your teeth. That's in Job. You know, there's a, there's a whole lot of things like that that you think, man, it got nothing to do with the Bible, and that's where they came from. Now, sometimes people twist them up and add a bunch of other stuff along with them, but, but a scapegoat comes from here. Now, what, what is happening here? Aaron as the high priest and the mediator between God and the people brings this goat and the Bible tells us that Aaron lays both of his hands on the head of the goat and he begins to confess the sins and iniquities of the people of Israel. He begins to say like, you know, uh, uh, Israel, we, we have sinned. Talking about for the whole nation of Israel. We have committed idolatry. We have committed these sins and these other sins and we've not done this and we have done this. All the sins and iniquities and transgressions of the people. He'd confess that over this animal while he's got his hands on his head. And the Bible said that when he did that he put those sins on the goat. On the head of the goat. There was a transfer of guilt. Now see the goat was an innocent animal. Right? Right? But the Israelites were guilty of sins and transgressions. But in that confession and mediation, the guilt was transferred to the goat. And then a man would take this goat out into the wilderness, far away, and turn the goat loose and come back. And see what happened is the goat is out there in the wilderness and judgment falls out there on this animal instead of the people. Substitution. I say well you know that's, that doesn't seem fair for the goat <laughs> well in one sense of the word it's not the goat didn't sin but let me ask you the question if there's a question between you or the goat <laughs> what do you say I said the goat has got to go is that right goat's gone A lot of times people get so, you know, indignant about this or that, but when you bring it back down to what it really is, okay, well, it's either you or the goat. Well, friend, guess what this scapegoat is a type of? Who was the scapegoat for all people, for all time? The Master. I said, the Master. Now you see, because the sins were confessed over the head of the scapegoat, and this, this was accomplished through the laying on of the hands. Then judgment fell on the, the goat out there in the wilderness, and judgment didn't fall on the people. The people were redeemed. What was the price? The goat. But now see, the, the, the blood of goats and the lives of goats and, and animals couldn't permanently redeem people. They had to do this all the time. See, they were doing this constantly. Isn't that right? And that was, that was uh, showing that it hadn't been taken care of yet. This was a temporary measure that sustained them until the real scapegoat took the brunt of the sin and paid for it forever. Now you see some things over in Matthew when this is actually happening that are interesting. Matthew, and about the 26th chapter we'll begin to, to, to look, look at. You see, God is a God of justice. God is a God who is rigidly righteous and just. He doesn't pervert justice for anybody, not even those He loves. He won't do wrong for anybody. He won't pervert justice for anybody. And I'm glad he won't. Because if he would, he wouldn't be the God I know and love. Is that right? I don't care whether it it concerns you. No matter how much he loves you, he won't pervert justice for you. Justice has to be met and satisfied. And the wages of sin is death. That's how the, the, the debt of sin is paid. Through death. And there's no way around it. That's decreed of God. No way around it. If you sin, you die. No exceptions. No exceptions to the rule. If you sin, you die. Oh, but thank God, the Lord made this allowance that someone else could die for you and pay the price instead of you. Amen. Justice had to be satisfied. Amen. The penalty had to be paid. But thank God it could be paid by another instead of us. Amen. That's why we ought to sing His praises all the day long. That's why, we, that's why His love should be the theme of our song. Because He so loved us that he came and gave himself for us and died for us. He paid the price that had to be paid. That's why when Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That's why the father didn't tell him, okay, we'll do something else. Because there was no other way. No other way that you and I could be free. No other way. If he hadn't have paid that price, there'd be no other option than death for all of us. Death now and death eternally. Death while we live and death in hell later. Friend, you know, it's easy for us to get used to being saved and get used to the gospel message and not really realize what God has done for us and not really be thankful like we ought to be. But when you really look at it and see what God has done for us, I mean, if he never did another thing for you the rest of your life, you ought to shout his praises. Are you listening? And proclaim His goodness and glory every day of your life. Amen. Praise God. Like the psalmist said, when the Lord turned our captivity, we were like them that dream. Hallelujah. Amen. Our heart was filled with gladness. Our our, our mouth was filled with singing and rejoicing, you see. And the heathen said, "The, the Lord's done great things for them. And we said, yes, the Lord has done great things for us whereof we are glad. Amen. Amen. Even the heathen ought to wonder, well, what's, you know, why are they always praising the Lord for? Amen. <laughs> Amen. What are they always shouting and praising the man? Well, the Lord has done great things for us. Amen. Whereof if we are glad, Amen. not sad, glad, Amen. glad. Amen. Somebody said, yeah, but Brother Keith, everything's not right in my life. I've got problems. Not like the problems you had. Are you listening? I said, not not like the problems you had. You might say, well, I'm I'm this, I'm that. They tell me I'm dying. I, I, I don't have any money. And they tell me this and that. Yeah, but friend, you're saved. You're redeemed. Are you listening? Even if nothing went right for you, you still got, And I'm talking about right now, you still got so much to shout about. So much to be glad for. Oh, thank God. This life is short. And there are a lot of things down here that we think is a big deal, but it's really not that big of a deal when all is said and done. But aren't you glad that it, you know, the Bible said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's not just one benefit, the benefit of being saved and going to heaven. There are many benefits. He goes on to mention, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. Amen. Fills your mouth, and satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We got lots to shout about. We we got a lot to be glad about. Recount your blessings and remember them, and realize what God has done. It'll keep you praising Him all the time, all the time. But uh, the price had to be paid. We said, and uh, it was our price to pay. We're the ones that made the debt. We're the ones that should have paid. Oh, but thank God. The Lord had mercy on us. Amen. He looked down on our plight. And he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. But the thing is, he owed no debt. He had no debt of his own. He owed nothing. For he had never sinned. He had never missed the Father's will. He had never broken the laws of God. Never, never sinned. He owed nothing. Completely innocent. And we owed everything. But even though he owed nothing, he said, I'll take their place. I'll pay their price. I'll be treated like a wicked, ungodly sinner. I'll take it. I'll be judged with the wrath of God. I'll let myself be sold into the bondage of the power of darkness and death. Oh, but he did it in faith. I said he did it in faith. It was a dark hour on the cross. It was a dark hour. Dark literally physically and also dark spiritually. When he he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthana Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I mean, him who was God and was with God from the beginning is now separated from the very presence of the Almighty because of the sins that are now upon Him. He didn't just uh, sympathize with our sins. He became our sin. Any ugly thing, any terrible thing, any evil thing, any ungodly thing you have ever done, He became it. That's why you never have to pay for it. He became it on that day. And, and as as death began to, to take hold of his soul, him who is the giver of life, it's hard to comprehend it, him who is life itself, let death take him. And sometimes people, you know, they, they, they want to qualm and argue about this. And, they, and the Bible tells us that that Jesus died and that he went to hell. That's the Bible. The book of Acts in different places says it. It says the scripture was fulfilled concerning him that, that, that it said, Thou will not leave my soul in hell. The Bible tells us that Jonah the prophet being three days and, and nights in the, the belly of the whale, that that's a type of Jesus. Well, friend, it was no, you know, the belly of the whale was no, was no, no place of comfort, place of torment. Are you listening? That's what Jonah I mean, if you go back and read that, what happened to Jonah, what he said, he prayed in the belly of the whale. And he called it hell. Well, I imagine so you know, can you imagine? Being in the stomach. You know what's in, in the stomach? All kinds of acids is true. He talked about seaweed and, and all these I mean, it had to be horrible. Can you imagine? There must have been enough oxygen in there to sustain him, but it must have been horrible horrible. It was a type of Jesus being in the heart of the earth. It was a type of Jesus being in hell for three days and nights. Amen. Just a type. It wasn't that bad. It was bad, but it wasn't that bad. It was a type. Remember, Jesus told those that questioned him about You know, they said, we want a sign. Show us a sign. He said, there shall no sign be given this evil and adulterous generation except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Didn't he say that? He said, for like Jonah was three days and nights in the the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three three days and nights in the heart of the earth. And some folk you hear them say, well, now I just don't believe that. I just can't accept that. I can't believe that Jesus went to hell. Well, we're back to the scapegoat. Right. Are you listening? Amen. You sinned, and because of your sins, you are going to hell. Is that right? right. What's the only way you could keep from going to hell? Somebody if somebody else went in your place and went for you. Somebody says, well, I don't believe that Jesus is, Jesus went to hell. Well, I'll tell you this. This is the issue. Either he went or you're going. I believe he went. I'm not going. Can you say amen? He went. He went. He was there. He let He let death take him. Remember he said this. He said no man can take my life from me. He said I've received this commandment from my father. I lay it down. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it up again. And the Bible said that the demons they didn't know. If they, the Bible said if they had known what was going on, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know. They thought they were winning. And see, the Bible said that in Hebrews two fourteen and 15, it says that Jesus became a partaker of flesh and blood. Why? So that he, through death, could destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil and deliver them who through all their lifetime were subject to bondage because of fear. The fear of death. See, the devil had the power of death. And, and, and Jesus let that take him. He let it take him. And the devil must have been sure that he has conquered the whole thing now. You know, he must have been sure, I have finally beat God. But only a fool would believe such a thing. Are you listening? It looked that way. The disciples themselves were so disillusioned. They thought, We well, thought he was supposed to be the Messiah and the King. And he dies like a common criminal. And he's dead. Back up with me just a little bit here in, in, in Matthew, the 26th chapter. And notice, they have come to the garden at this point. They have taken the master. The Bible said here in verse 50, that you know, verse 49, that Judas had come and and kissed him. That was a sign that he was the one they were to take. And the Bible said that Jesus said to them, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. How many know there's different kinds of laying on of hands? The Bible talks about two different kinds of laying on of hands. Now, this is all, this all has, has something to, a part to play in what we're looking at. The Bible said Aaron laid hands on the goat's head. Is that right? These folk laid hands on Jesus to deliver him unto death. They, they took him, you see. And they arrested him. And we we can see all the way through it that Jesus is yielding to it. I mean, Peter whipped out his sword and started fighting and said, Lord, I'll deliver you. (laughs) I'm not going to let them take you. And that's that's honorable. Say what you want to. It's honorable. You know, you can really understand quite a few things here about it because, you know, Jesus had told them that they were going to come and take him. And he was going to die, and they all said, "Lord, we'll go with you." Peter said, "Lord, I'm going to go with you. If it means death, I'm going with you." And uh, the Lord looked at him, and he said, Lord, "Peter, before this night is over, you'll deny me three times." And Peter said, "No, uh-uh, no, Lord, no, you're wrong. Uh-uh, I won't. If I have to die with you, I won't deny you. I believe Peter meant to. Don't you?" That night while they were there in the garden, you see, they were praying. And the Bible said they kept falling asleep, you see. And Jesus had come back to them and said, uh, What? Can't you just watch with me for an hour? Uh, stay awake. He said, he said, Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I believe that ties back into some things that he had told Peter earlier. You see, Peter meant to. His spirit was willing. He meant to. But his flesh was weak. And a lot of times you have to really be, uh, really check yourself and examine things. Sometimes in your heart you say, oh yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. But, but, but sometimes people's overconfidence shows that they don't really realize how weak their flesh is. What he should have done. Listen to me. Now you can learn something this What he should have done instead of arguing with the Lord about it. When the Lord looked at him and said, Peter, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. He should have looked at the Lord and realized that the Lord knew something he didn't know. I said, oh dear God, dear God. No, Emma, Yeah. Oh Lord, what can I do? Can I do anything about it? And I bet he would have said, yeah. You can. What was one thing you could do about it? Stay awake. Pray. Are you listening? I believe there's an implication there that if he, had, well, notice what he told him, he said, watch and pray that you enter not into the temptation. See, Peter, when he stood around that campfire out there, he was tempted. That's where the temptation was, right there. And see, instead of resisting it, he entered into it and yielded. It's never God's will for us to fall. Are you listening? Never. Some folk, sometimes folks say, well, now I just believe that that was foreordained and Peter was supposed to do that. He really didn't have any choice in it. And there are a lot of things you need to learn to... Mm -mm. God never ordains and is pleased and is His perfect will for us to fall. Never. There's always a way to overcome if you will look to Him and do it. Now God, even though you fall, the Lord, He knew if you were going to fall or not. True. And He can bring a good thing out of a bad thing. But to say that it was God's best and His perfect will for you to fall? No. 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 But Peter, I think, you know, that that he he had made up his mind, no, I'm not going to deny him. And when it all started coming down, you see, he said, "I'm I'm not. And he grabbed his sword and he started fighting. And that's what he had in his mind. But when the Lord looked at him and said, put your sword up. This has to be fulfilled. And he couldn't figure out and that's why they all ran, because they, they saw that Jesus is not resisting this. Jesus is giving in to it. He's going with this. And that's why they all ran away. But I want you to notice something here over in the, in the uh, 27th chapter. though. After that they had abused him and, and all these things on this next uh, morning when he's standing before Pilate and uh, the Bible tells us that uh, as he stood before him, that verse twenty, Matthew twenty-seven twenty, it says the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas. Now, see the Bible said that this man Barabbas was a murderer, and there was a a a, a custom on this particular time of the year, in this particular feast, that uh, the leaders would release to them one individual that was incarcerated, whoever they chose. And so, this individual Barabbas was there. And Barabbas is a criminal. I mean, he's committed murder in an insurrection. Murder. And uh, the Bible says, that when he, when Pilate began to say, well, what, why should Jesus be crucified? Why should he be crucified? He's done nothing wrong. What's his crime? And they said, give us Barabbas. And he said, well, what am I going to do with this, with the Christ? They said, crucify him. Now I want you to try to imagine yourself in Barabbas' shoes for a moment. Picture yourself. It could have very well been, uh, it had to have been at part, some some point in in here that Barabbas heard these things. It could have very well been that the the place where he was held was nearby and he could hear the crowds. Now, put yourself, maybe maybe he couldn't hear all of it. But he can hear some things wafting from the crowds. Big crowd in the street, you see. And we, we know two things they shouted. And that would have been the two things he heard the loudest. One thing Pilate said, "Who? Which one do you want? And they all said, Barabbas! Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! And he thought, Barabbas? That's what they're calling my name. Boy, he's straining, he's trying, to, trying to see through, through a bar somewhere. Barabbas! And then Pilate said, Well, what about the Christ? What do you want me to do with Him? And they all started yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He might have thought, oh God, oh God, crucify. All he heard was Barabbas and crucify him. Could have been. Possibility. And he might have been sitting there in terror, oh God, oh God, I've got to die crucified. But I want you to notice what the Bible said here. And notice how it words it. It's all important. Verse 24, chapter 27, it said, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. I mean, see, that was a public declaration that this man is an innocent man. He doesn't deserve any punishment. And verse 25, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Oh, dear God, that's one of the worst things they ever said. His blood. What does that mean? The the blame for His death. The penalty, the punishment. Be on us. Friend, can you see? why some of the tragic things that have happened to the Jews have happened to the Jews? They cried this aloud. Let his blood be on us. Let it be on our heads and on our children. Dear Lord. But it says, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, He delivered him to be crucified. Do you see that at the same time that they were turning Jesus over to be scourged and crucified, they were taking Barabbas out of prison. Barabbas was a murderer. He should have died. He should have been crucified under the laws of his time. Just like today we have the gas chamber or the electric chair. They had the cross. And he was a murderer. He, he was rebelling against the government, trying to overthrow things, insurrection, and killed people in it needlessly probably. Murder. He deserved to be crucified. And when they came and got him, I don't know if he had heard the whole story or not. He might have been trembling. He, be, he might have been scared. Silly. And they came dragging him out. And he saw a cross and he saw all those things and he thought, oh, this is it, this is it. And then he saw him take Jesus and lay him down on that cross. That's his cross. That's where he should have been. And the Roman looks at him as he takes the key and turns it and takes the cuffs off of his hands and kind of pulls them off quick, roughly. See, you know, he very well could have killed a Roman soldier. Very likely that it was some Roman soldier or official because that's you know, that's who he was fighting against in an insurrection, you know. And they probably were none too happy about it, letting him go. Probably took those things off and said, I don't know why, but you're free. And gave him a shove. And I don't imagine Barabbas spent much time lording around. But as he made haste to leave, he could hear the sound of the nails. That's his cross. Friend, you know who Barabbas represents, don't you? Barabbas represents all of us. All of us. Condemned to die. Guilty of sin of all kinds. But friend, what did it say they did with Barabbas? Released released Heberabbas, and then they scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified in isaiah fifty three it's written that when Jesus was taken, he opened not his mouth like a like a, a a sheep before its shearers is dumb. It repeats it: He opened not his mouth, he didn't say a word. Why? Because he could have proclaimed his innocence. He could have said, I don't deserve this. He, t- he told the disciples, he said, don't you know, I could call to my father right now, and he'd send me 12 legions of angels. That's possibly anywhere from 50 to 60 plus thousand angels. Can you, can you imagine? I mean, it depends on what figures you're talking about. But we're talking about a horde and a mass. They could have come and wiped out the whole lo- uh, Roman army. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't deserve to be punished for his own sins. So he couldn't open his mouth. If he's going to take our place, he's just got to be quiet and let it happen. He can't proclaim his own innocence. But friend, there's a great a great picture of the truth that I, I get excited about every time I think of it. Over in Acts. Go with me and look at him. In Acts, the 22nd chapter. You know, in in Isaiah 43, while you're turning there, let me just read this to you. You don't have to turn to there. But but in Isaiah 43, the Lord said this. He said, I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, the Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom." I gave Ethiopia and Zeba for you since you were precious in my sight and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and I will give people for your life. Do you, do you see what he's talking about here? Ransom. Exchange. Them being given instead of you. And there's, there is, there's a whole bunch of things we could talk. We could go back to E. He said, I gave Egypt for you. See, Egypt lost their firstborn sons. And at the night of the Passover is when it happened. And none of the firstborn of the Israelites died. Judgment fell on the enemy instead of them. And the thing was, not because they had lived a perfect life. They had committed all kinds of sins. But because they had applied the blood, the judgment didn't fall on them, it fell on their enemies. Now, the Bible said that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. How many believe that? When he says by his stripes, what is he talking about? He's talking about scourging. Isn't that right? When they took him away and released Barabbas and they, instead of Barabbas being whipped and, and scourged and crucified, they tied Jesus to the whipping post and they beat him. They whipped him, scourged him, like a criminal. He didn't deserve that. And you see, that, that whipping is a type of the curse. The the curse is spiritual retribution and punishment. For breaking God's laws. It's manifested in many many different ways. Including sickness and disease. And so when Jesus was whipped and scourged. You could see that outwardly he was whipped. But spiritually the Bible tells us. that, That God put him to sickness. That God laid on him the iniquity of us all. The source of sickness and disease. And mental anguish and torment. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. Where it says, Surely. He bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. What does that mean? It meant He was beaten. So that we wouldn't have to take the beating. Did you know that that, that sickness is a beating? Sickness is a whipping. It's judgment. It's a curse. And there are other things that are, that are whippings and curses. Poverty is a whipping and a beating. Mental anguish and torment is a whipping and, and a scourging. And the Bible tells us that when they took Jesus and they tied Him to that, that, that scourging post, Isaiah said, He opened not His mouth. They beat Him and He opened not His mouth. didn't say a word. He just, he just stayed there. He let them do it. Though he deserved not one stroke. Why was he doing it? For us. For us. But now notice this. This is years after the resurrection. After the day of Pentecost. When Paul has been saved. And being used of God as an apostle. Going and preaching the good news everywhere. About Jesus the great substitute. The great exchange. And he got to this one place. Got to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And they didn't want to hear the message. They wanted to kill him. And there was such a commotion that the the Romans came to stop it. And and the Bible said that they, they were trying to pull Paul apart. And the Romans took him and got out of the crowd and calmed the situation down. And as they took him back to the castle, you see, they took Paul down. He's in custody of the Romans. And verse 24 of of Acts 22 says, The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. Now that's the same thing he did with Jesus, right? Scourged him. Now this examined here, uh, what, what we're talking about here is torture. They're going to ask him some questions. Then they're going to beat him a while. Then they're going to ask him some more questions. And they're going to scourge him and beat him a while until they get the kind of answers they want. And and we're told by historians and what have you that sometimes people died from the scourging alone. But they wanted to try to find out what you know why this commotion had arisen. They figured he was the cause of it. He did something wrong, you see, and so they're just going to beat it, beat it out of him. Verse twenty-five, though, and as they bound him with thongs, so they begin to. Uh, you know, they, they had some kind of a whipping post or something. And they'd they bend him over and begin to tie his hands to it and tie him around it. As they were doing that, Paul said to the centurion that stood by, he said, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? And the centurion, when he heard that, he went and told the chief captain. He told his superior. He said, uh, you, you better take heed what you're doing because this man is a Roman. And the chief captain, I mean, he got, came out of his office or whatever and came right to him and he said, uh, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yay. <laughs> and the chief captain answered with a great sum obtained out of this freedom. And Paul said, but I was free born. Then straightway or immediately they departed from him which should have examined him and the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. This is interesting. Amen. You see they they, they took Paul and I mean I mean he's Big, strong Roman soldiers, and they grabbed him, and they threw him up against that post, and they took a leather strap or something, and they're tying his hands, and they maybe tore the shirt off of his back, and here's a great big guy over here, he's the whip man. He hadn't had anybody to whip in several days, and, and he, you know, he's, uh, he's itching, you know. And I mean, he's, he, he's ready, you know. He's, he's really gonna lay it on this guy. That's just his job, he just whips people. They just show him who to whip, him. he whips them. And he's ready. And as they were tying him to the whipping post. Remember they tied Jesus to that whipping post. And when they tied him what did he do? Open not his mouth. Didn't say a word. Just let them beat him. Beat him and beat him. And didn't say a word. He's innocent but he didn't say a word. But Paul. When they tied him to the whipping post. Before they ever got started with the beating. He looked around and he said. Hey. Is it lawful? Is it legal? For you to whip a Roman? Uncondemned? There's been no trial. I haven't been convicted. Haven't been proven guilty. Can you do that? And he said, well, just a minute. Wait just a minute. He went and he told his his superior. He said, you better watch what you're doing. This man's a Roman. Now see, the Romans highly... Magnified citizenship. Oh man, if you, if you were a citizen of Rome, you had rights. Unalienable rights. Among those rights, you had a right to a trial. And you had a right to appeal decisions, even up to Caesar. Paul used that too, do you remember that? I mean, he used it, didn't he? He knew his rights as a Roman citizen, and, and he, I mean, they were, they were talking about some things at one point, and he said, you don't have any right to turn me over to the Jews. I appeal to Caesar. And the Bible said that the, that the man's counselors turned, and they all whispered, and he looked at them, asked them, and they said, hey, he's got the right. You gotta let him do it. And so he came back, and he said, well, you've appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you'll go. And that was God's way of getting the gospel preached to Caesar. Amen. But do you understand that Paul knew his rights as a citizen of Rome. He stood on those rights. He spoke up. And he said, have you got a right to do this to me? The man came back out. He said, uh, tell me. Paul's all been over, you know. He said, tell me. Are you a Roman? He said, yay. I bet he was glad to be able to say "Yea." Don't you think he was glad? Yes, yes, yes. And the man looked at him and said, it cost me a lot of money to get to be a Roman. Now see, you could, there's several different ways you could be, become a Roman citizen. You could, uh, of course, if your parents were Romans, you are born to Roman parents, you're Roman. If you were a soldier and, and did some great act for the army or for the government, uh, you might be given citizenship. Or if you had a lot of money and you just make a, a, a sizable contribution to certain places you could you could get to to be a citizen. And that's the way he said he'd become a citizen was through this large money. Paul said, Yeah, but I was free born. I was born that way. I was born that way. And the Bible said immediately they that were about to scourge him, they, they departed from him. They untied him and they backed off from him. They said, Sorry, Mr. Paul, uh we didn't realize you were Roman. And the Bible said that the captain told him to take him back to his quarters. Let people come visit him if they wanted to. Let them bring him, you know, uh, everything that they would want to. Don't don't hinder him. And later on we find out that they even sent a guard with him of many troops and horses to escort him to a certain place to see to it that he wasn't ambushed along the way. That he got to a certain place safely. Why? Because he was a Roman citizen and he spoke up for it. Well, friend, did you know the Bible tells us in Philippians that you and I are citizens of heaven? That's right. Citizens. Citizens. What does it mean your your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, friend, that's the roster of the citizens of heaven. My name is there. It's there. You can find it. You can turn to the page. It's there. Glory to God. Is your name there? You know, when the disciples, you know, were experiencing authority in the name of Jesus and casting out devils, they came back rejoicing and said, "No, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. He said, well, yeah, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He said, I've given, you know, uh, all things under your feet. He said, nothing shall by any means hurt you, given you power over serpents and scorpions, etc. But he said, he said, don't rejoice so much in this that the devils are subject to you. He said, rejoice in this, that your name is written. Glory to God in the book of life. Your name is there. That's what you you ought to really shout about. Your name is there. Well, friend, we need to realize as our name being there means we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We have certain unalienable rights. Amen. And some of those rights have to do with us being redeemed. We're redeemed. Jesus, he, he let them whip him. He didn't open his mouth. He could have proclaimed His innocence. He could have stood up for His rights. But then that would have left us undone. No, He he took our place. He stood in our stead and didn't say a word. Why? So that when anything tries to tie us to the whipping post, like Paul, we can speak up. When the devil tries to strap you to the whipping post and beat you and whip you with sickness and whip you with poverty and whip you with mental anguish and whip you with diseases of all kinds, I mean, before it even starts good, you should turn around and say, Hey! Hey! Wait a minute. Is it legal? Mr. Devil, is it legal for you to put this on me and work this in my body? I'm a citizen of heaven. I am redeemed. Jesus paid the price for me. So you gotta, like we were talking moments ago, you gotta know your rights. You gotta know who you are in Christ. You gotta stand up for it. You can't just sit around and say, well, I, I wish this would leave. I, I wish I wasn't like this. It doesn't, it doesn't happen by wishing. You've you got to know that it belongs to you. Healing belongs to you. The devil has no legal right to work that disease in your body. He has no legal right to destroy you financially. He has no legal right to destroy you mentally or emotionally. He has no right. Don't you just stand there tied to the whipping post and let Him beat you senseless day after day with these things. Don't let Him do it. Don't just sit sit there silent. Jesus was the one who took it silently so you could speak up. Amen. Amen! The Bible talked about them overcoming the accuser of the of the brethren. And how did they do it? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's what bought us. That's what bought us. And by the word. The word of their testimony. you got to testify. you got to testify. You might say, well, yeah, but you know what? I, I, I guess I, maybe I do deserve this. No, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. You don't deserve it. Why? Jesus paid it. Jesus didn't deserve it, but he took it. Jesus didn't deserve it, but he took it. Yeah, but I've lived this way, and I've done this, and I've done that, and and I guess I just deserve to have this. Only if you won't take advantage of what Jesus has done for you. No sir, no ma'am. You don't have to take it. Some people, they've been tied to the whipping post for a long time. They've been having the stuff beat out of them, you see mean, just whipped and scourged and whipped and scourged and sickness and disease and poverty and lack and weakness and pain and curse after curse after curse. Friend, you need to raise up your head. and You need to look around like Paul and say, Hey, is it legal for you to do this? No, that will bother the devil. You know what happened when Paul said that? Do you realize what happened? I mean, they're in full stream of of, of scourging him immediately. And when he said that, they stopped. And he went to his superior and told him. And he came out and asked him, Are you? He said, Yeah. And the Bible said, Immediately, they departed from him. Immediately, they departed from him. See, the devil is taking advantage of Christians all over this place that don't know who they are, don't know their rights, don't know that they're redeemed, don't know that Jesus already paid the price. And he lies to them and tells them, well, you've done this and you've done that, you've been a bad Christian, you've been a bad person, you deserve to have this. And so they take it. They take it. They let it happen. Rise up. Rise up. Knowing that the price has been paid, you do not have to pay it. I've been redeemed. I don't owe. I don't owe that. I don't have to pay through, through being sick, through being poverty stricken, through being defeated. I don't have to pay it. Jesus paid it. I'm free. That captain looked at him and said, cost me a lot of money to get these rights. Paul said, yeah, but I was free born. We can say the same thing. How'd you, how'd you get to be such a, such a royal citizen of heaven? How'd you get to be A redeemed, bought back individual who owes nothing for the sin. How would you get to be like that? Born that way. Born that way. Born again. Born free. I didn't work for it. I didn't pay money. I didn't merit it with works. Born that way. Free born. Free born. Free born. Oh, glory. when the devil starts tying you to the whipping post of problems, starts trying to beat you with sickness or disease or poverty or lack, you better stand up immediately. Don't you Don't you take it for a minute. Don't you take it for a day. Don't you take it. You rise up. You speak out. Tell the devil emphatically, devil, you have no right. You have no right. Yeah, but he'll tell you, yeah, but you did this and you did that. I don't care. Jesus paid that. You have no right. So you've got to know that he has no right you've got to know it and you've got to say it strong and bold. He has no right. You have no right. Did you get that in your spirit, friend? He has no right. No right. No legal right before the throne of God. No legal right. He knows that, but he's hoping you don't know it. The devil knows that. Oh, the devil knows that. He knows that he does not have a legal right to, to work the curse in your life. He knows that. But he'll do it anyway if you don't know your rights to stand up for him. Oh, friend, we need to let it dawn on our hearts. We are royal citizens of heaven. And we have rights. We have a right to be blessed and a right to be free from the curse. We have a right. We have a right. And I'm telling you, when you know your rights and you stand up for them and you speak out for them and claim them and resist anything that would try to rob you from them, all heaven stands ready. To back you up. The Holy Ghost stands ready to confirm it. The angels of God stand ready to back it up. I'm telling you, that's all heaven's waiting on. All they're waiting on is for you to rise up and say, No you don't devil, no you don't. I resist you, command you to stop. You have no right, you have no legal right to do this in my, in my body, in my life, in my mind. You, you have no right. When you do that, you set heaven's forces in motion on your behalf. And that's why the Bible says, when you resist the devil, what does he do? Please. Why? Why did not he argue with him and flush with the Bible? He already knows he doesn't have a legal right. He already knows that. And when he realizes that you know, there's nothing left for him to do. He just has to leave. He just has to. Because he knows that heaven backs up your rights as a citizen of heaven. He knows that. And he's not about to challenge that across that. But as long as he can keep you in the dark... And long as he, I mean, if he ties you to the post and you don't say anything, he thinks, well, so far so good. And he starts wailing on you and beating you and you don't say anything. He's laughing. He thinks, oh, great, great. They don't know. And so he beats and beats and beats and beats. And, beats, and he'll never stop beating. It only gets worse. And the sad thing is, so many people are just silent. They're just thinking, well, you know, things happen. Nobody knows why. You just, this is life. And even even believing the devil's lies, that this is God, this is God's will for you. God's working things out in your life. Believing lies. Can you see the different subtle ways the enemy keeps people ignorant of their rights? It keeps them from standing up for what belongs to them so that he can keep on doing his terrible works in their life. It's too late for us, though, huh? we found out. Too late for him to deceive us anymore. We've already found out. The devil didn't want you to know that, but too late! You already know it! Amen! This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information,